Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we speak with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. We are months away from the launch of HBO Max, but you better believe my next guest is already plenty busy. He's Jeremy Legg, Chief Technology Officer at Warner Media. He's the one who will make sure HBO Max is streaming into your home seamlessly with all the bells and whistles of the product functioning. Uh, thanks for coming in, Jeremy. Oh, thanks for having me, and it's great to be one of the brightest minds. I, my staff it's doesn't say elite, that. It's an elite, elite group, group of people. That's awesome. Um, so we're sitting here talking in early December. The launch at this point is months away. I don't think you guys have said yeah, a particular. Uh, May, of, May of 2020, okay. yes, we're public about that. And so even though we're here in December, I'm just curious, in the process of ensuring this thing goes off without a hitch, where are you? Well, so we're, we're basically at our first beta. Um, so we just uh, launched an internal beta recently um, and brought in a lot of the content from Turner and HBO and Warner Brothers. Um, and so we've expanded the HBO Now and Go application, as consumers might think of it, and uh, rebranded it as HBO Max and made it a multi-tenant technology platform that can support not just the HBO brand, but all of the brands of the broader company. So we're, it's internal right now. We haven't released it out to the broader consumer base, but there's an app there and it works. And when you press, when you press play, the video plays. Got it. And I assume there's, you know, plenty of meetings with, with the, the Greenblatts and Rileys of the world. I'm talking about the gentlemen who are, who are running the content side of this. Do they, leave you to do your own thing or is it all everyone's getting in each other's businesses regardless regardless of whether it's content or distribution well i asked bob and kevin to write code for me regularly oh. but they but they uh, <laughs> but they have so far declined that honor uh but we, we work very closely with them right so they're obviously you know building the content selecting the content and then we work collectively on how that content is going to be featured and merchandised inside of the application and and also a lot of the product features associated with what we're building so it's it's a you know this is a this is truly a corporate wide effort um, involving you know both the leadership as well as the working teams across many organizations and so we work very closely with them on all of this. And you're not starting from scratch. It's not as if the HBO or Turner brands are new to streaming. You mentioned you know HBO Go and HBO Now. How much of a leg up does? that give you uh, or from an infrastructure perspective is it like a clean slate it gives us a pretty significant leg up I mean there's some downsides to it but uh, I'll talk about the positives first on on the on the positive side of the ledger you know we have a scaled platform that platform delivered Game of Thrones we did 4.6 4.7 million concurrent streams on the final episode and millions more before that. And so we know it can handle large video loads. We know it can handle lots of consumers coming into the application. And, uh, you know, it's a brand that, you know, millions of consumers have access to today and use the application today. So, you know, we're starting from a, a strong foundation. And so we're working now on how do you merchandise more brands inside of that application than just HBO? Because obviously this becomes everything from DC Comics to, you know, Turner Properties and, and other components or other content brands across the broader company. 
On the other side of the fence, and the part that's a little bit more of a challenge is, you know, you've got millions of people using HBO Go and now, and they're going to start using HBO Max. So how do you get seamless consumer transitions from those legacy applications into um, HBO Max, for example? Um, how do you translate all of their personalizations and recommendations into the new app? How far do you go with that? And so, you know, those are things you wouldn't otherwise have to work through if you had a clean slate and you were launching the app for the first time. But I'll take those problems. I'll take the problems of having millions of people using your application and working through that um, rather than starting at zero. Yeah, it's a nice standing start. And does that mean that brands like HBO Now will continue in the HBO Max era? Yeah, it does. I mean, the the HBO Now and Go brands are not going away. HBO as a brand, more importantly, is not going away. It's, you know, a central brand for the broader company. Um, The challenge for us is how do you maintain HBO as a brand and a product separate and apart from HBO Max, but then also take HBO Max and make it a broader brand umbrella for the other properties of the company? So it's a you know this is something we talk with with Kevin and Bob about regularly Andy Forcell and Tony Gonsalves on the on the product side is how do we build the technology in such a way that the publishing and editorial teams can feature these applications in such a way that they maintain their brand identities and so it's it's a you know when I talk about sort of multi tenant that's really what I mean is you know how do you have HBO live in there but how do you also have DC Comics live in there how do you also how do you also have the other uh, brand properties of the company live in there? It's it's an interesting challenge for us. You know, CNN is going to be in this application. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got a lot of brands that normally people don't think about sort of coexisting together. And so you have to bring all that into one application and create a way for people to find that content, personalize that content, recommend that content, and navigate around the application in a coherent way. I guess I, I never stopped to think of the, as you put it, the multi-tenancy as as an issue because I just assumed you're grabbing a bunch of content. It all has different labels, network brands, and you dump them into the streaming service. I know I'm making this ridiculously simplistic, but are you somehow suggesting that even though we're kind of moving away from the traditional linear system in this streaming world, that these brands maintain some kind of distinct presence? Yes. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there will be capabilities to cut across brands. So as you, you know, as you do search, right, as you look at genres or things like that, those aren't brand specific. But some of these brands are very strong. They have, um, you know, cult followings and fan followings, and we don't want to diminish that. So we want areas of the application to feature those brands and allow consumers to dive deep inside of those brands to discover things around Batman or Superman. I mean, these are iconic kinds of things. And so we don't want to simply merchandise things and just sort of throw it all into one funnel and say, go find your content. So there'll be, you know, curated components of this. There'll be brand areas associated with this, you know, much of which we showed, for example, during Investor Day. Um, But then there'll also be ways for consumers to navigate to specific content that they may want. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can go into the search bar and it is not brand specific. So you can go and find any content that you want in that way. From a product perspective, is there something about HBO Max as a streaming service that you think will set it apart from some of the others in this space? Is there some sort of strategic tack that you guys are taking in terms of UX or infrastructure? Well, I think there's, I think there's a couple of things that we're doing. One, I'll start on the product side, and then another I'll talk on the tech side. On, on the product side, 
Yes, we want there to be computer-driven algorithms associated with personalization and recommendation, and we'll build those things. Those are valuable things. Um, but what we also want to do is, is add an element of curation to this that we don't really think exists in the FSPOD space at the, at the degree to which we have, or, or to the degree to which we're building uh, into the product. So as you think about you know, the sort of endless scrolls of tiles that exist across most of the SVOD services, they're largely just driven by a, an algorithm. We want sections in there where we can actually curate and publish content specifically by humans and have that capability there so that if we want to merchandise or feature certain things around you know, Batman or Superman or classic movies or whatever it might be, that there are publishing capabilities where you can feature things. So akin to if you think about the way you know, Turner Classic Movies does 30 Days of Oscar or 30 Days of James Bond, those are human-curated kinds of capabilities. We want those capabilities as well as algorithmic capabilities to deliver consumers a different experience. Okay. I'm curious also, uh, as we talk about HBO Max and launching into the teeth of the so-called streaming wars, do you look around at the competitors? Are you kind of studying them? Disney Plus obviously in the market now, Apple TV Plus in the market now, or is it more like, you know, we just keep our head down and and create the product we're going to create? Well, I mean, I I hate to, this may be a non-answer answer, but the answer is yes. Um, of course, we look at what the competitors are doing and we look inside of their applications and the features that are there that consumers have clearly decided they like. And we have to make value-based decisions about you know, whether we're going to put that in our app or not put that in our app. Um, but with all that said, at the end of the day, you know, we can't spend all of our time worrying about what Disney does or what you know, NBC does or what Netflix does. We have an app we have to build and we have to believe in the product that we're building. And so while we pay attention to it and we look up over the horizon and, and certainly note the things that they're doing, um, you know, we obviously went in and looked at the Disney Plus application when it launched. At the same time, we've got a roadmap that we're trying to deliver against. We've got a value proposition we're trying um, to deliver against, which we think is a bit differentiated from our competitors. And we don't have time to worry about it. We, we've got to launch an app in, you know, five, six months, and um, there's a lot of work to do. Do you have like those next six months, six months, you know, sketched out within an inch of itself? And in other words, is there, do you just know everything that needs to happen operationally at this point and it's all sort of mapped out? More or less. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, we've got all of our scrum teams, you know, assigned work right up until the launch. We know when we're going into QA, we know when we're going into code freezes and all that. You know, with that said, there's always requirements that pop up here and there via discussions with the studio side of the house, the product side of the house, or the distribution side of the house. And so there are new things that pop up, and we we have to make prioritization decisions about squeezing one thing out and moving it to a subsequent release. But for the most part, the roadmap's pretty baked. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if to launch something of this scale, um, you can't be making it up. At, at this stage of the game, you need to kind of have your ducks in a row. Um, I would imagine something like this, you know, in any company, you get a sense of what are priorities, what perhaps takes the oxygen away from other things. Is this kind of like an all hands, all consuming thing that to some degree presents a challenge in terms of balancing the resources there versus, you know, keeping the lights on in other areas of the company? Yes. I mean, uh, certainly, you know, I think one of the challenges that our company has had, and I think a lot of media companies have had, is that 
you know, if you look at a Netflix or, or you know, a, a asphalt service out there, um, and they, you know, this, they do a great job with their product, and you know, consumers have clearly decided that they like it. But they have thousands of people that work on one app, um, and historically, most of the major media companies really haven't done that. You know, we're supporting dozens of applications and broadcast plants and all those kinds of things. I think one of the big things that's really changed in in um, the rollout of HBO Max, and I would suspect it's similar at some of our media peers, is that people are taking this much more seriously than they have in the past. They're throwing significant content resources against it and technology resources against it. And so does it um, you know, mean that the um, sort of capital distribution across the technology organizations is slanting towards HBO Max? The answer is yes. Um, what I would also say with that is it should. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, we are at a, a moment in time, I think, in our business model and cycle where we have to start throwing uh, more of the capital against um, both the innovations that we're doing in the streaming space as well as, as well as the product side of the house. And that doesn't mean no other brands receive capital, but it does mean that, that you know, we're, we are really putting our shoulder behind doing this. Sounds like a lot of pressure, too. It is, but, you know, this is actually the fun stuff. You know, I mean, yes, it's pressure, and and if it doesn't work, uh, there may be a new CTO of WarnerMedia at some (laughs) point, but... but, you know, you're building things, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're playing offense um, and you're going to release a product, honestly, that the company I think will be very proud of. And I think that even though people are working very hard, they're excited about what they're doing because it will not only be a significant event for the company, but we think it'll be something that resonates in the marketplace. Um, so that's sort of the good pressure. There's other things that are bad pressure, but but um, you know I don't enjoy doing budgets all the time, and I don't you know enjoy you know doing cost reductions. But you know you have to do some of those things in order to free up capital to do things you know where you're playing offense. And as long as as long as you know, look, we're going to have three swings at the plate on this, and and I feel good about our batting average. Well, when Disney Plus stepped up to the plate, as I'm sure you saw, tremendous demand, but then some technical problems that came with that. Do moments like that give you pause? Did you say, oh, my God, I hope we don't have to deal with that? Or uh, what can you really do even to to take precautions? Yeah, I'd say that there is an unwritten code amongst uh, CTOs where you feel for the other person that's uh, that's going through it, because anyone who's you know, run large organizations or, or, you know, had direct to consumer products, you know, you've had stumbles and that's what technology, uh, that is unfortunately a reality of building scaled technology. So, it, you know, I feel for my peers on the other side of the world and that's certainly not something that they wanted to have to have happen. With that said, you know, there are learnings associated with, with, um, you know, all these things. And a lot of them are around scale um, and how much scale you build in the public cloud not just for streaming, but for authentication systems and entitlement systems and billing systems. And you've got to run through a pretty robust set of use cases, both in terms of humans banging on this and testing it, but also automated scripting and automated testing to do load balancing across all of these different areas so that you feel like you're releasing an app that um, is pretty battle-tested. I don't know exactly what happened on the Disney application, uh, but at the same time, they had enormous demand for it out of the gates. So if, if you had to pick a reason that something failed, too many people trying to get in it is probably, high is class probably problem. A, 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 a high class problem. And, 
you know, if I, I hope we don't have any technology failures, but if we do, I hope it's because the demand's so high that it that uh, that um, you know we're we're trying to meet the demand, um, not for other reasons. But is the nature of this kind of product, you know, streaming software based, the years twenty nineteen, is it really no different than say back in the fifties when the television picture would have all sorts of problems? Is it the kind of thing where these kind of problems you just have to say, okay, for a technology in its infancy, this kind of comes with the territory? Yeah, I, th- I think um, to a degree that's true. Um, you know the. You know, I run the the broadcast side, for example, of of the company as well. And those, you know, deliveries to a television set today and largely historically have been in closed ecosystems. You know, the technology is largely wholly owned by the programmer and the distributor. And so you have a higher degree of confidence that when you deliver a video bit from point A to point B that it's going to make it there because there aren't as many ways for it to be interfered with. This is internet distribution and you know you you don't own the end to end way that video is delivered. You don't own the device, you don't own the um, operating system on the device, you don't own the browser on the device. You own the app on the device, but it's built for that specific operating system. And the way video actually makes its way down through a CDN or through the web or through you know the various other methods that video goes down to a device, you don't generally own those either. So you're building software that sits on top of all of these other things. And so the number of places where you can have problems that you don't control um, are just broader than they are on the broadcast side of the fence. Consumers don't care. Right, the consumer expectation is is that this is going to work as well as it does when I turn on my TV set. Exactly. Right, and so they don't care about all the sausage and how it's made on the back end. Um, I have to do that, and so you know, we we for the way video is delivered over the internet are going to take our lumps around how we deliver this, whether it's on-demand video or live video, which is even a completely separate challenge on the internet. Um, until we get it right. And it's certainly vastly improved than it was 10 years ago. Um, But it's not all the way to where it needs to be relative to meeting consumer expectations about the way traditional television was delivered. And I guess in taking your lumps, you learn, you figure out where the problems, the vulnerabilities are, and you're better off for it? Or is that just kind of well, you, you do. And, and, you know, look, there's this, I think it's just this interesting trade off right now is that on traditional television, for the most part, the video works when you turn it on. But the consumer experience around the video isn't great. You know, if it's a traditional set top box, whatever it might be. And consumers have clearly said, I don't really like the way that this video is delivered to me, even though it comes on right away when I turn on my TV or I change the channel. On the internet side, it's feature rich. It's software based and the set of capabilities and ways you can watch video is vastly better than it is on traditional television. But the video delivery ecosystem that sits behind that um, is not wholly owned and it's not a closed system. So yes, I mean, the, the short answer to your question is, is you do have to learn about all these different mechanisms and figure out methods that you can use in order to smooth things over. So you know, here, here's just a, a simple example. The reason primarily that live video, when it travels over the internet, lags the delivery time associated 
with television, right? You notice it's seven or 10 seconds behind on, you know, in some cases it'll be up to 15 seconds behind on live video streaming over, over the open internet is so that you can fix video problems upstream before they ever hit the consumer device. Oh. Right. And so you can fix video bit problems along, along the video river that's going down to the device. Um, and so lots of that kind of stuff happens and there's little checkpoints along the way for the way video is delivered that enable people to fix it before the consumer ever sees it. Over time, that will improve. Over time, you will get to low latency video feeding, uh, low latency video feeds all the way down to the device. Um, but today, uh, it's harder to do that because the tech stacks are heterogeneous. So the, the more heterogeneous the end-to-end tech stack is, the harder it is to do those types of things. You've been uh, at Warner Media a long time, before it was called Warner Media, back yeah. in the time Warner days, Turner. Um, I'm the last, I think, AOL refugee that still is that says, really? Yeah, yeah there's a, there's the a few of us. The one and only? I don't think I'm the one and only, but there's not many of us left. Yeah, I, I actually originally started at AOL, so it's uh, uh, there's a few of us hiding out with our AOL T-shirts on. <laughs> well, the thing I was wondering about, and it's, it's actually this question I think becomes more interesting by your AOL background as well, is is there something about launching this massive streaming software-based product within not just a traditional media company, but also now that AT&T is in the picture, uh, you know, a telco, uh, not a traditional tech company like a a Google or a Facebook. Is there a a cultural challenge that comes with taking this on in that kind of environment? Um, Yes, in the sense that, you know, they've been very focused on traditional telco infrastructure. And so, you know, you're working with telco billing systems and other types of things that, you know, aren't things that you would normally encounter at an Amazon or a Google. But I think that's honestly more than offset by the distribution opportunity that we have through bundling with wireless and bundling with fiber and a lot of the infrastructure capabilities that AT&T has. You know, I mean, they've got, what is, 150 or some odd million direct-to-consumer relationships that we can now leverage to distribute HBO Max. And so while there are technical challenges in doing bundling with the way that you know, wireless accounts are created, that's a problem worth solving um, because it's a unique proposition that we have given that all that sits in the same company where we can look at how we bundle HBO Max with other owned properties across the broader AT&T enterprise. But culturally speaking, is there something about product building that is uniquely a function of a true tech native culture? Or you know what, if media or telcos spend enough time and money on it, it's the same thing. Um, I would say culturally there are differences, um, you know, because there are, you know, it's really the difference within, you know, say an AT&T between a pure software culture and then a networking and infrastructure culture. Yeah, it's a nuance. You know, and, and it's all tech and mm-hmm. it's all important tech and consumers don't get to watch anything if all that stuff doesn't work together. But obviously most of, of AT&T's broader organization, and it's a big one, is focused on wireless, you know, last mile fiber delivery. Um, and networking infrastructure, and they're excellent at doing that, and they're better at it than we are. Um, we are more of a software-based culture, and that's not to say there aren't certain parts of AT&T that have that, but you know they don't release a lot of apps. Um, and so we work with with different parts of that organization that have the software-based culture that's that's more consistent with the way that we've worked in the past. 
but we're also learning how to work with some of the other organizations that exist there. And it's worth doing because, you know, when you, when you think about, um, you know, high-end video delivery, you want to work with the 5G people at AT&T. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, so those kinds of things, while culturally it's a little bit different, you know, a, a wireless network engineer is not a software engineer. Right. That's a that's a marriage that's worth trying to broker uh, between the software person and the network engineer, because ultimately you can deliver video down to the consumer at higher quality and lower cost if you get those two people talking the same language. I also wanted to drill a little more into this notion of AT&T's leverage, its giant mobile footprint. I, I feel like that gets to the whole underlying rationale for the AT&T acquisition of Warner Media. this combination of distribution and content could do great things. So for if I'm the consumer, if I'm an AT&T handset uh, owner, uh, am I going to see things with HBO Max that will be uniquely examples of what it is to combine these two things? Yeah, I mean, certainly there, there are on, you know, there's several answers to that question. Certainly on the marketing side, you're going to see that in the way that we bundle you know, HBO Max with the different AT&T products, for example. But the other things that we're able to start you know, uh, doing, some of which will be at launch and some of which will be later, are the way uh, folks authenticate into the product. So, I mean, if we know and already have a direct-to-consumer relationship with you, why do you have to sign in twice, right? You know, why, why can't you do things like SIM card-based authentication? Why can't you do things where you enter a certain set of credentials into an AT&T phone and it automatically authenticates you into HBO Max and do various flavors of single sign-on? So things like that we are very much investigating as to how we, we essentially remove the friction between um, the consumer and the application itself. That's not to say that we wouldn't do that with other providers. Um, We certainly would, but it's obviously easiest to start with ourselves and build some of those sets of capabilities so that, you know, the the experience that a consumer has through an AT&T phone is as optimized as it can be. So uh, I'm guessing these days HBO Max is taking 90% of your time or upwards of that. What else does a CTO do at a television company in terms of broadcast operations? What other things are are maybe not as top of mind as HBO Max, but top of mind? Yeah, I'd sort of divide it into several buckets. So, you know, we work very closely on on the data and advertising side. So both our, you know, our digital across all of our digital properties, whether it's CNN.com or, or um, you know, March Madness or other properties that we serve. So we still have to, you know, serve that video and en- enable advertising in it and work with Xander and, and the other parts of AT&T to leverage the data that they have to create audience segments that help us target advertising and target content to consumers. So we spend a lot of time working on that. We've recently actually deployed, you know, what I think is the largest IP broadcast facility, uh, certainly in the country. Um, and so all of our networks, inclusive of HBO and CNN and our entertainment properties, run under an IP broadcast um, model at this point. So I ironically need Node.js developers on HBO Max, and I need them in our broadcast world Hmm. um, because that's formally transitioned. And then obviously we have the election coming up. So I, I spend a, a lot of time on, on CNN and, and, you know, whether it's the primaries or it's the debates or all those things, 
you know, we provide the technical infrastructure that sits across all of that, um, as well as CNN Digital and those other and those um, other digital properties. So. It's um it is a very busy time. I would I say was between HBO Max and the election. I don't know how you're going to sleep in 2020, but yeah, it, it's um I mean it. That's the fun part, you know. I mean it, it's it's a lot of pressure, um, but you know you that's kind of the stuff you remember when you you know if you look back on your career, you remember those moments um, and and how well you did or you didn't do in those moments. So enjoy that, and I have a great team that that assist this. It is by, it is hardly me that's doing all this. That's for sure. Well, speaking of that team, is it a team that I assume has been beefed up considerably as all these new challenges come to your, on your plate? Yeah, we're, we're, you know, certainly the HBO max team has expanded significantly, you know, since we really made that commitment. And then we've done a variety of things in terms of combining technology organizations, primarily between Turner and HBO um, to really give us more scale in specific areas. And then we recently uh, did this on a global basis. So it, it's um, both domestic and international. Um, and, uh, you know, those organizations support all of the aforementioned brands and properties. Um, and so in, in some cases we've cut back because those businesses no longer warrant, you know, the levels of attention that they've had historically. But it's essentially a capital redeployment exercise. It's not a let's cut for for cutting sake, it's, you know, these are the places the companies decided to invest. And so whether it's, you know, CNN digital or it's sports or it's, you know, data and advertising or HBO max, those are, you know, probably the four biggest pillars associated with our growth. And, and so we're, we are open for business and have a lot of open roles uh, that, uh, so any engineers that are out there, uh, ping me on LinkedIn. I mean, imagine <laughs> it's probably quite a, a race out there between you and other companies in terms of getting the best engineering talent. You feel that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, uh, there, is, there is a race for tech talent. And, you know, I, 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 I like our position here. Um, we have a lot of geographic diversity. You know, we have a significant presence uh, here in L.A. We have a huge presence in Seattle and New York, as well as in Atlanta domestically. And then we have international locations from London to Amsterdam to Buenos Aires. So it's um, there's a lot of opportunities in a lot of different parts of the globe. And, you know, we we're you know, there's a sort of essentially call it the race to the middle. You know, we've got We've got media companies that have been great at content for a long time that are now trying to get great at tech. And you've got a lot of tech companies that have been great at tech for a long time, and they're trying to get great at media. And we're all kind of racing to the same place, but on two different paths. And we're all now competing for the same group of tech talent. And so, you know, the way we recruit, um, we're recruiting the same uh, groups of people, but our pitches are a bit different, you know, Um you know, one of the best recruiting tools that we have beyond obviously, you know, paying competitively and those types of things is you walk someone around the studios at HBO or CNN or Warner Brothers and say, hey, you know, would you like to come here and work on this stuff? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we usually get those people. <laughs> so it's there's a compelling value proposition between, you know, really being in a scaled content company and then a technology arm of a content company that's in investment mode. And, you know, so we've had a lot of success, you know, pulling folks from some of the traditional technology companies. Um, And historically, they've pulled folks from us. And um, I like the trends. Well, my guess is you're going to be doing a lot on the hiring front this coming year. Uh, Looking forward to seeing HBO Max come out of the gate in 2020. And thanks for coming in to talk to me today. Yeah, it was great. I appreciate it. So uh, thanks for having me. 
This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 